0: If I would talk about humility, and my response was, if I talk about humility, that means I have to be humble. I thought, man, now I got to pray. Now I got to be humble. I got to confess everything quickly because I can't stand up here as a hypocrite, can I? So actually, that was good um, that he asked me that because it it just renews the sense that uh, we do need to be humble before an Almighty God. I probably would have given a much better message on pride, <laughs> but he didn't ask me to talk about pride. You don't want to hear about it anyway. Um, humility is big with him. He's pastors already given a number of messages on humility uh, at Cornerstone. It's in his heart. It is in his mind constantly. And he said to me, uh, he said, John, if people would humble themselves, then you could teach them something. That's pretty profound, actually. Because if somebody can teach you something, that means you might actually do it. So if somebody would teach you the Word of God, you might actually do what the Word of God says. And in ca- that case, you'd be blessed and you'd give honor and glory to God. Doesn't that sound good? That's our pastor's heart. And uh, so it's in that spirit today that I want to talk to you about humility because hopefully by the end of today you'll have a greater sense of humility and somebody will be able to teach you something. Amen? Amen. All right. So um, the title of my message today is How Does God See Us? How Does God See Us? Um, And that's to be contrasted with. how do we see ourselves? And usually what happens, uh, we go through our lives at work, on the job, at school, in church, wherever, and we compare ourselves with other people usually, don't we? Somebody at our work is doing a great job, and we see they get uh, commended by their manager. And you know, deep down inside you think, well, I wish my manager would say that I was doing a good job in front of everybody. Or we're at church and somebody has a, a thriving ministry, and I have a ministry, but it's not thriving. I think, well, you know, I wish my ministry was thriving. Why couldn't I be like him? Or why couldn't I be like her? So we compare ourselves with ourselves, don't we? And that's not a very good thing because if we do that, humility doesn't have a chance to germinate like a seed and grow in us. Because usually when I'm comparing myself with you, I'm really fearful and insecure, Right? And if I'm fearful and insecure, humility can't grow in me. So I don't want to compare myself with you. I want to compare myself with God, and it's vice versa. You want to compare yourselves with the Lord. So let's do that today. I've got two difficult Scripture passages that should challenge us today. And actually, I was humbled because the first one I'm going to read, I really don't know what it means, um, but I'll give it a shot anyway. Uh, Luke 17.7 this is Jesus talking to His disciples. He says, "...which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he was come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and then afterwards you can eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which he was commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things you are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have only done that which we ought to have done. So the message is, we're all unworthy slaves. Let's go home and be humble. <laughs> you know, when you, when you hear this scripture, this, this uh, parable Jesus is telling, it's, it's a little different than... The other parables and stories that Jesus tells, this one seems more stern, doesn't it? I mean, the master doesn't even say thank you. I mean, the guy's working in the field all day long. He comes in. He's hungry. He's tired. The master says, don't sit down. Get to work. I'm hungry. Feed me. Then you can eat. I mean, the flavor's different on this one. Um, no rewards. Uh, the master seems ungrateful. And then what's this slave thing anyway? Um, you know, I thought the scripture says Jesus said in another place, "I don't, I do not call you slaves anymore, but friends." Because in John fourteen or John fifteen fourteen, he says, "You are my friends if you do whatever I command." He says, "A servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you to be friends. For all things that I heard from my father, I have been made." have been made known to you. So, you're no longer slaves. I'm calling you my friends. So now here's a passage that says, you guys are slaves. What happened to the, I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. And uh, the, the thankful thing, I mean, there's no thanks here. And clearly, in other passages of Scripture, um, Jesus expresses thanks and reward for people that serve him. Peter said, "Hey Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. What do we get out of it?" And Jesus said, "Oh, you'll rule over the twelve tribes of Israel, and anyone else has left father, brother, mother, daughter for my sake. You'll have at least a hundred times in this life, plus in the age to come. You got your reward." Paul said, "Hey, if I preach the gospel and I do it willingly, I have a reward." And here, there's no thanks, there's nothing. That's humbling, isn't it? So the question is, this can't be talking about me. It's got to be, maybe it's the Jews or something, right? I don't know. I mean, this was before the cross. So maybe this was just talking to the Jews, and I can be a friend of God, and I can still get my reward, and I don't need to worry about this passage of Scripture. I don't know. That's what's so difficult about this. Let's see if we can go into it, though. Um, let's start at the beginning. God took... Uh, my boys were playing in the dirt yesterday. And man, they had water and they were just caked with mud from top to bottom. Well, God went out and He took some of the mud, right? You know, And He did His little mud ball thing and He breathed life into it. And He made a little mud ball into something that could talk and walk and be in his image. And he said, all right, I'm clearly your creator. You're clearly the little mud ball. Here are the rules. Just do what I say. I mean, is that, is that true or not? I mean, I'm not. there's no sensationalism with that. That's really what happened. And so if we go back to the beginning, um, if we stop right there, I'm a mud ball that God breathed in, then if he defines me as a slave... What can I say? I mean, I'm just the mud. He's the creator. He can say, he can define me and my relationship to him however he wants, can't he? If we just stop right there. But we can keep going. Um, Jesus purchased us from something. What did he purchase us from? Our sin, right? So The purchase price, of course, was He paid with His life so that we could receive forgiveness of sins. And so you guys remember the Scripture that says uh, your life is not your own. You were bought with a price. So my life isn't my own. I was bought with a price. So therefore, if Jesus wants to call me a slave, He's purchased me, hasn't He? Legitimately and legally. So... I have no right to define my position with Him, do I? But the next thing we can look at, if that's not enough, and it is, if that's not enough, let's take a look at what Christ did um, for us again. Let's go in a little more detail. He actually became a slave. Something ain't right because He's our... He is the one that took the mud ball and breathed on it. So now, he became a mud ball and then he submitted himself as a mud ball to the mud balls he created and he allowed us sinful, wretched mud balls to put him to death. And he made us. And that's one way to look at it. We're vessels. Aren't we vessels of clay? Let's take a look at Philippians 2, 5-11. Uh, This is the famous passage on humility because it talks about the one who is humble. Uh, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. What attitude, Paul? Who, although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant. Another word for bondservant is slave, right? And being made in the likeness of men, uh, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And of course, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess this name. So, one... God has every right to call us slave just by making us. Two, Christ purchased us out of sin, being a slave to sin, now we're a slave to righteousness. And three, to kind of put the icing on the cake, he became a slave, a bondservant and paid a price, paid that price for us. So we have three pretty powerful things when we look to see what did God do for us. And that's the title of this message. Um, How does God see us? How do we see God? So when we see God, the only thing we can do is, you know, (laughs) yes, Jesus. Yes, Lord. I mean, we were born in sins, right? Our uh, destiny was the lake of fire, if we think about it. So... We still haven't answered the questions about the thankfulness. And uh, I think I've answered the slave question. God can do what he wants. And we're just, uh, he's the potter, we're the clay. If he wants to mold us and crush us and call us a slave, that's his business. Um, It's interesting, Paul knew all this stuff. And Paul said he was adopted into God's family. Paul knew he was a friend of God. Paul knew he was more than a conqueror. Paul knew nothing could separate him from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul knew he was a king's kid. Paul knew his destiny was to rule and to reign with Jesus Christ. Paul knew all these things. Yet how did he refer to himself? A bondservant. So, isn't that interesting? I, Paul, a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I, Paul, a friend of God. Well, it's true. He was a friend of God, wasn't he? But why didn't he why didn't he start his letter that way? I think um, I think there's something more here we need to take a look at. Let's take a look at the thankfulness part. Um, I was thinking about this this morning. I rewrote this thing about ten times because I could not understand this passage of scripture, and I didn't know how to communicate what little I did understand. One thing I was, I was thinking about this morning was that what if the servant, uh, what if the master said to the, did say thank you to the servant? Hey, come on in the house. You worked hard all day long in the fields. Kick your feet up. Let me give you, give you a juicy juice from Jerusalem. Goes to the refrigerator, gives him his little juicy juice. You know, relax. I'll get you dinner. Don't worry about it. Servant's like, this is pretty cool. Next day he comes in from a hard day's work, same thing. Hey, thanks, man. You you did a great job today. Just hang out and relax. And then all of a sudden the master forgets to do it one day, and the servants gets a little indignant. Like, well, obviously I'm pretty important here. Uh, why didn't this guy thank me? I mean, doesn't he know who I am? I mean, I'm his trusted right hand man. I mean, I'm the man. Do you see the progression here? Um, So I'm wondering if this passage helps us keep our attitude where it's supposed to belong instead of going off into pride. In other words, when you read this passage and there's no thanksgiving, um, we're just doing our duty. I'm just wondering, does that keep us with a humble attitude? Because I have to realize, you know, even though I'm working hard for God, and even though He is going to reward me, um, it, I can't claim any merit for my work. Nothing. I mean, I, if I do a great job in the kingdom of God, is it? Is it? Do I get any reward because I'm inherently such a great worker in the kingdom? No. It's only by grace. It's only by grace. So um, I, I think this passage. One thing it does. It's kind of like a stripped, stripped-down car. A friend of mine used to, uh, he didn't like cars with electric windows or electric locks. He didn't like cars with fancy carpeting. He liked stripped down cars. I mean, he would take the seats out, he would mount these plastic seats. He, had a, he, had a V8, he made a V8, V8 Corvair and he, he took everything out, he took the door panels out, he, he put these real lightweight plastic seats in. He, he didn't like anything frill, anything extra. And to me, this passage is stripped down. It helps strip us down. It helps bring us back to that initial relationship uh, that we have with God as our Master. Um, it, we're not going to forget that He's our Master and we are the slaves. That is the relationship that we start with. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know about you, but it's, it just humbles you because it's, you don't have the, the gentle language and uh, God is, you know, is, is compassionate and the grace and the mercy, they're, they're uh, kind of absent from this passage. But if you really think about this passage, it's incredible grace and mercy. Why? Because we, what do we sing? We sing, I'd rather be a doorkeeper, you know, better is one day in the court of the Lord than a thousand anywhere else. Well, isn't it better to be a slave, to be in Christ? than outside of Christ and not be a slave? I mean, that that's the picture. That's the mercy. So um, it's not that this passage doesn't have the grace and mercy in it. It's just um, it's not brought out uh, specifically. So I think uh, hopefully I've answered maybe a little bit about this passage. Maybe give us a little better understanding of of our relationship to God. Because if I can see God and how He is, my only response is, you know, I'm nothing except for the grace of God. What do I have? Um, there's another passage of Scripture that I'd like to read to us. It's also a difficult passage of Scripture. It's found in uh, 1 Corinthians 4.8-13. And here's a place where Paul the slave is asked by God to do something. And he spends his life, he sacrifices his life to do what God asks him to do. So I guess, um, how does God see us? He sees us as a slave. And as a slave, he can ask us to do anything he wants, can't he? So this is a passage where one man did what God asked him to do. He says this, he's talking to the Corinthian church. If you remember the Corinthian church... They were kind of stuck on themselves. Uh, They were uh, carnally minded. Uh, They really weren't living for God the way that they should have been with the knowledge that they had. So the Apostle Paul has to write them a letter not only to encourage them, but also to correct them. So this this is some correction that Paul gives to them. He says, You guys are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst. We are poorly clothed, and we are beaten, and we are homeless. And we labor working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless people. Being persecuted, we're going to endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. How does God see us? See, our picture of how God sees us is, I deserve the blessings. Right? But really, that's not how God sees us. God sees us as his child whom he wants to pour out blessings to. But the attitude that we have towards the way we see ourselves is really what's important. Paul and the apostles, they saw themselves as God saw them, as a doulos, as a bondservant. And because Paul saw himself that way, he realized how unworthy he really was. He realized how absolutely incredible it was that God would knock him off his donkey when he was riding on his way to hell. And that's the truth. He was on his way to the lake of fire and God knocked him off his donkey. And he got up off the ground and God said, Paul, what are you doing? And Paul said, what do you want me to do? He said, go with this guy and I'll tell you what needs to be done for the rest of his life. He served God. So Paul knew um, who God was, and Paul had a right view of himself relative to Jesus, and and because of that, he did all these crazy things, like considered himself condemned to death. Actually, this is a good. Um, I wrote a little like a, a table. I teach math, so I like you know, X in this column, Y in this column. Well, in this column, we have rich. We have the Corinthians in this column, and then we have uh, the Apostles at the top of this column. So we're going to make two lists. And this list will help us compare ourselves to see where are we at, how are we doing. Because if we don't want to look to everybody else, because you can always find somebody worse off than you. Let's look to, to the standard. Okay, in the Corinthian column we have rich and full. And then in the Apostles column we have condemned to death. Right, how many of you, like me, eat five meals a day? Most, most of you eat five meals a day. You do. Because you've got to count all the snacks that you eat during the day as a meal. All right, we're rich and we're full. I think it's not, it's so, it's not so much that they had wealth. Um, it's, it's their attitude towards the wealth that they may have had. Basically, when you have everything, you don't need God. He develop this kind of superior mindset. Hey, I've got everything. I've got God. I've got heaven. I don't need anything. I don't need to be humble. In fact, you guys ought to show me some respect. You know, I've got my ministry. I have lived in a nice house. I've made it. I've got my nice car. I'm rich and full. I'm self-satisfied. I'm self-made. That's kind of the comparison. And then when you look to the apostles, they considered themselves condemned to death. Hey, we're going to serve Christ even if it kills us. We're not holding on to anything. Materialism, food, clothing, shelter, we don't care. I mean, we were on our way to hell and now we're miraculously and graciously brought into the presence of the King. We're going to give our lives for Him. See the comparison. All right, How about wise in the Corinthian column and fools for Christ in the Apostles' column? Uh, Wisdom, obviously, here would speak of the wisdom of the world. They were wise in their own eyes. Is what Paul said. And we get that way too. We think we know it all. Honestly, um, I I have trouble with that. I mean, we all do. But, you know, particularly when it comes to teaching, if you study for 20 years, you probably think you know something, right? I mean, it's been 20 years to this month that I came to the Lord. Isn't that amazing? 20 years. By God's grace, I've been walking with the King for 20 years years and i've got another 20 to 40 or 50 to go Um, so we don't want to be wise in our own eyes when you think you know something here's here's the classic example uh you hear the pastor's message right and later on someone says um what did you think of the pastor's message you say i was all right you say what do you mean say well i already knew that oh you did you're so full of yourselves (laughs) (laughs) you didn't know that what you really meant was um, at one time in my life as a Christian I heard that and really I forgot it but I'm not humble enough to tell you that I forgot it and say thank you for reminding me am I right yeah we do that all the time that's pride that's not humility that's because we're wise in our own eyes we think we know everything So if somebody asks you a simple question, what did you get out of the message? We can't even humble ourselves and say, well, you know what, man? I've heard that 15 billion times. But today I said, God, make it a reality in my life. Thank you that this man has been trying to over and over get this through to me, and I just haven't been willing to receive it. God, help me. Isn't that a better attitude? The other other classic situation is um, when pastor's preaching, um, you want to be so open to receive, that you hear the Holy Spirit immediately. So when pastor says one thing, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit can say, Put, that's you, I want you to change in this area. And you've already repented before he gives the altar call. I doesn't always happen to me, but I try to repent um, before we even get to the altar call. So that when we get to the altar call, I've already repented, and then if I go up, I don't like coming up at all, so it's humility for me to just walk forward because I don't like people seeing that an elder has to come up and you know, show this weakness. I'm just being honest with you. So I have to force myself to come up, um, so I humble myself. But nobody, nobody knows that. <clears throat> but he's, I mean, you see all the weirdness that goes on in our minds just coming to church? I mean, you just come to church, you just want to raise your hand and praise God and have a good time in the Lord? But because we have this flesh, we have all these temptations that hit us even in the worship service. We're full of pride sitting in a pew. We really are, honestly. All right, strong versus weak. We're very strong. I can do it. I don't need your help. The apostles were weak. The apostles were like, we can't do anything. We can't rescue ourselves from the Jews who are trying to kill us. We can't preach the Gospel to the whole world without Christ's help. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That was what the apostles lived. Do We live that way. You are distinguished, Corinthians. We are dishonored. I like to be distinguished. I like people to think well of me, to say nice things about me. Oh, he's a good teacher. He's a good preacher. He's a good person. I really do. That's disgusting. It really is. We can vomit that one right up. <laughs> Seriously. Paul was content to be dishonored. Praise God. The, apostles, the early apostles, what did they do when they suffered? They said they went away rejoicing. Why? Because they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. They had been counted worthy to be dishonored. Praise God when you're dishonored. Right? But we don't think that way because we get hurt with our little reputations. He said, You guys are rich, we're hungry, thirsty, poorly clothed, beaten, and homeless. At one time, I, I wanted to live like that. I really did. In fact, I, I did live like that in, in a small measure. Um, and, you know, God used it. I lived on a, a, an abandoned farmhouse, had no heat in it, and uh, we had vines growing in the windows into the house. We didn't need potted plants. The potted plants, the ivy, just came in from the outside, and I mean, the wasps made their nests in the house. I mean, I, I enjoyed living like that. I really did. I, I kind of got into it, but that—that's not the true spirituality, okay? The, the kingdom of God is is not a matter of um, what kind of bed you sleep in. Uh, the kingdom of God is, though, a matter of seeing. I can't believe He saved me. I can't believe He saved me. When I got saved 20 years ago this month, I was so utterly blown away. I mean, I was knocked off a donkey. I had, I had a, an Apostle Paul type of conversion. And man, I was running one way, full steam ahead, all sin ablaze and on fire. Next minute, I got slammed onto the ground. I stood up. I turned around, and I ran the other way towards Christ, and I haven't stopped in 20 years by the grace of God. But when you see what Christ... When I got saved, I thought, why did I persecute Christians? Why did I think they were bozos? Why did I think they were ignorant, stupid people? And I thought, you know what? Because of my pride. I was so full of myself. And then, um, I mean, we, you know, you get so excited for God because you see what He's done for you. I had such a revelation of what Christ did for me. You know why the apostles were so fired up? Because they had such an incredible, supernatural, spiritual revelation of a risen, exalted Savior. Why aren't we that excited? Honestly, because we don't have a revelation of Jesus Christ. We have an intellectual understanding of the Gospel. You've heard it for the last 20 years yourself. And after a while, we get dull of hearing because we're fat, we're rich, we're wise, and we get too strong. So that makes us dull of hearing. And we don't see Christ in that fresh, alive way like we did when we were first saved. But man, that's all I wanted. If Christ sold everything He did... I'm going to sell everything. I sold everything I had. I sold BMWs. I sold tennis rackets. I sold, I sold cars. I sold everything. I mean, because that's what, that's what you did if you were a Christian. You sold everything. What happened? I don't know. Somehow I, I lost some humility along the road. But the apostles, because they had such a fresh taste of what Christ, their Master, did for them, they are willing to sacrifice everything... Even to the point of all these physical inconveniences. Circumstances didn't matter. What mattered was obedience to the gospel. What mattered was laying down your life for your brother. That's what mattered. Going without food is nothing spiritual about that at all. But laying down my life for my brother, if that leads me to go without food, well then praise God. I'll go without food. You know, if if I can fast for somebody and pray for them so that they'll get saved, (laughs) thank you, Jesus but I don't do it like I should. Why? Because I'm more in the Corinthian column than I am in the Apostle column. You know, honestly. Is there anybody that does this kind of thing? I mean, we're in a cultural Christianity. We really are. We're kind of a half-backslidden group of people. Um, So is, is there anybody doing this stuff? You know, Paul did it, so we look to him. Praise God. Jesus did it. He was God. He should have done it, right? But is there a man or woman that's doing it that we can be encouraged by and emulate? And there is. There are. You guys are doing it. Um, I'm, I'm intentionally being a little bit uh, strict today, stripped down, if, if that's okay. Uh, because sometimes we need to peel off certain layers. So, God can kind of get on the inside. So, I'm, I'm hoping I can, God will just use me to peel a few layers off. But there is a person who does all this stuff. Um, it may look a little different, but uh, we endeavor to walk this way, and, and that's our pastor. Um, you say, well, where does he go hungry? Well, he fasts and prays uh, for your children and for you. Uh, he stays up late. He's always tired. He's falling asleep up here now. That's, that's a tremendous compliment. Why? Because I know what he's doing. He's not staying up watching Saturday Night Live. You know that. He could care less about Saturday Night Live. He's, he's, uh, he cares about you and me being alive in Christ. So he's up late with people on the phone. He called uh, Gloria the other night and woke her up. He did because he was up late. And why did he wake her up? Because he was concerned about the king's business. He was concerned about advancing the kingdom of God. He does crazy things like that. He instituted all-night prayer. We don't suffer in this country like the first apostles did, but there's other ways you suffer. If you ever come out on Friday night uh, when we were doing all-night prayer, you suffer. There's very few people here, even the people that are night owls and that stay up to 2 and 3 in the morning anyway, they, they suffer when they, if they come to all-night prayer. I guarantee it. All-night prayer is suffering. And he's the one that instituted that. I hate all-night prayer. <laughs> but I do it. Why? Why do I do it? Because God just might answer our, our prayers, right? And if God might answer my prayers, that means you might get healed, your child might get saved, and somebody in Lynchburg might come to Christ, and the devil's going to take his hands off this church. All because we know how God thinks about us. We know what we look like to God and how God looks like to us. So we do have we do have examples in our midst of people walking in this way. So how about you? Which column do you guys want to be in? I suppose I should have Alex come up. Is Alex in here? I know my message was a little rough around the edges this morning. Um, honestly, it was like I said it was a difficult one to uh, communicate you know to get good flow and you know not make not put a spirit of oppression on you but hopefully you see some hope in this um, The hope is this that we don't have to stay where we're at. that's the hope today I can say. Jesus I really haven't focused much on the fact that I'm your slave. Honestly, God, I um I pretty much do what I want. Yeah, I serve a few people, yeah, I go to church, and yeah, I don't curse at work and you know. But, you know, really, honestly, I'm not I don't I'm not really your slave 100%, man. Like I'm into this slave thing like, I'm into doing Your will, God. It's not about me. I mean, You've rescued me. I'm not, I don't have to burn in hell for the rest of my life. I mean, you've, you've given me a destiny to go forth with the Gospel, love people, serve people. We can do that, can't we, right now? Yeah, that's, that's what we need to do. God, I'm too full. I'm full of myself. John kind of irritates me. Did you ever get irritated by a messenger? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they rub you the wrong way. I mean, what am I? Who was Moses? You know, who is Pastor Willie? Who is Paul? Nobody. Just messengers that can irritate you. But if you get, by, if you can get beyond the messenger and hear the message, now you have something. You know, I'm just going to die and go to heaven. Um, but hopefully, if I share the word of God, you know, you'll take it to heart because it's not in my words. You know, I'm. God wants to help us. We can repent and say, Lord, help me to be a humble man. I see that I'm your slave. Yes, I am a friend of God. Yes, I've been bought with a price. Yes, my life is not my own. Yes, I have an incredible inheritance. Yes,